Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. And so in this episode, we're looking at the life of Joseph. You can read his story from Genesis chapter 35. And I was going to ask you, Mike, first of all, um, the term patriarch, which probably refers to all of his ancestors, does it? Yes, it's a term we used in some previous episodes, isn't it? Perhaps without explaining. Uh, perhaps a more modern equivalent might be Israel's founding fathers. So it's a word that means father, but it was father in a special sense, the father of the family, the one who headed up the family, the one who took responsibility. And think family, not wife, two children, but extended family in those days, people whose husbands had died, you've got cousins and all sorts. So the patriarch was the the father of the extended family. And when we use it biblically and talk of the patriarchs, we're normally meaning Israel's founding fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in particular. So Jacob was Joseph's dad? He was. And uh, where does he fit in? Where does Joseph fit in then to, to that family line? He's number 11 of the 12 sons that are born. So he came along quite late, but he was the firstborn to Rachel. And if you remember in a previous episode, we saw that Jacob had to go to his uncle Laban to find a wife, was tricked first into marrying Leah, who he wasn't really too keen on because she'd got squinty eyes and he wasn't really smitten with her, really wanted Rachel, had to work seven more years for her. And over the years, we find Leah, the one who's unloved, having all those children. Then we find Bilhah, Rachel's servant, having two, Zilpah having two. And only eventually, towards the end of the story, do we get Joseph and Benjamin born to Rachel, the one that he really loved, the one who was his sweetheart. So Joseph, son number 11 out of the 12 sons that will become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And how much of the book of Genesis is actually devoted to Joseph's story? Oh, it's a huge amount. Here's the interesting thing. It's probably one of the longest stories in the book of Genesis. So chapters 37 to 50 <laughs> cover this story. And I think it's not so much because of Joseph, the individual, but because of his significance in what he does in the history of God's people and how we end up starting the story there in Canaan, the land of promise, but it ending up down in Egypt, which will play a significant part. So yeah, chapters 37 to 50, a very significant part of the story. We've also heard the significance of the names of children. Um, the name Joseph, what does that mean? It means, may he add. And I think he'd been waiting so long for this son from his beloved wife. And now he ha had him and, you know, the may he had, was it, a, was it a blessing what God had done already? Oh, yeah, may he add to us and he has done. Was it hope for another one, which he would have in the 12th son, Benjamin. Sadly, his mother would die during childbirth there. So Joseph is our focus. And is there a sense of favoritism again? We've seen that word come out before, haven't we? Where 
sons are favoured by their parents. And we've noted how this parents, if you're listening, this really isn't good. And yes, he was very much favoured. And I think he was favoured because he was this son born to the precious wife. You know, they'd waited so long for this. Leah, well, yeah, we got kids through her, but really Rachel was the one um, that his father loved. And so I think because of that, he becomes very special. And I know that from having been a pastor for many years, you know, parents have waited a long time for a child or there was a difficulty in childbirth or a difficulty in the pregnancy. Sometimes there can be overcompensation from parents. And perhaps that's what was here. Not suggesting for one minute they deliberately set out to say, let's favor him. But maybe there was some overcompensation for this late arrival among the children. And he ends up getting the favored position. Now, of course, some people might well know the musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Are we going to burst out into song at this point? <laughs> Should do, shouldn't we, really? But this story is, is the focus of that musical. It really is. Yeah. Um, this comes know, from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. It comes from Genesis chapter 37. That's where the uh, script writers nick their idea from. And it's interesting. It's still as powerful a musical today as ever it was when it was written years ago. And yet one of the ways that his father showed favoritism towards his son was that he had a, a special robe made for him. Now, in the musical, it becomes Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. But remember, these were days when garments would have been pretty plain, pretty ordinary. Dyes were very expensive. So the average garment in Israel at this period was some shade of brown, some shade of cream if it was a more natural very plain. cloth. Very plain indeed. So whether it was the sort we see on the musical and the <laughs> extension, I very much doubt. But it's clearly an, an ornamented robe, it's described. It seemed to have some embroidery in it, seemed to have colour in and it was sufficient, definitely, to make his brothers jealous. And there were two things that would spark them off. And the robe and the favoritism that that expressed was definitely one of them. So the dad, Jacob, could have bought all 12 of them an ornamented robe. Well, he wasn't short of a bob or two, you know. I mean, he was a pretty wealthy man and really was a bit foolish. Again, I understand he was so thrilled to have this child from the woman that he loved in his late age. But it was a foolish decision, really, and would cause much, much trouble in the story that unfolds. I was going to say, what was the relationship like with the brothers as recorded in the Bible? Didn't go well at all. And the reason was it wasn't just about the coat of many colours. I think that was, like, symptomatic of it. But one of the things that really annoyed his brothers was a God-given gift. Funny, isn't it, how people can get God-given gifts and, you know, part of us says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, but inside there's a little bit of resentment and jealousy. Well, there was definitely no praise the Lord, hallelujah, from his brothers. There was real resentment about this gift, and that gift was a gift of interpreting dreams. Now, in Bible times, particularly at this period, Dreams were seen as one of the ways that God spoke to people. They were taken immensely seriously. And Joseph, as he grew up, uh, began to get this gift of both 
having dreams himself and interpreting others. And I think when this story starts, as we read it, what we get is a picture of Joseph being rather full of himself. You know, after all, he was dad's favorite. He got the robe. And we get this story in Genesis 37 where he comes to his brothers and says, hi, brothers, how are you? Hey, guess what? I had a dream last night. And you can imagine them perhaps saying, yeah, okay, what was it? And he tells them about it. And he says, I I had this dream and we were all out in the field. You know, we were getting the crops in and we'd all bundled up our the Mm. crops we'd gathered into sheaves. And all of a sudden, all your 11 sheaves were all bowing down to my sheaf. And then the next night, I had another dream. And that's where... I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars, clearly meaning them, all bowing down to me. Wasn't that great? Isn't that a great dream? Not very diplomatic. Not very diplomatic at all. Bit full of himself. And what's going to happen in this story is little by little, God will knock that fullness of self out of this guy until all that's left is God. And it starts at this point, with his brothers helping God knock it out of him. Because they're going out one day, they've been out looking after the sheep. Um, Joseph is not sent out with them. He stays at home with Daddy. You know, Daddy's favourite again. He doesn't have to do all the work. But Jacob says, hey, listen, go and find out how your brothers are. Just need to make sure they're okay. Because obviously they didn't come back every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may have been many miles away. So he travels to them, travelled to Shechem from Hebron where they were, travels some miles and uh, says, you know, where's my brothers? And eventually finds someone who points him in the right direction. And as his brothers see him approaching, they suddenly see who it is. And I love these words, here comes that dreamer. Oh, and I think you can almost feel the animosity in their hearts. You know, they should have said, here comes that dreamer if things had gone well, Hmm. because he was bringing them stuff from God, but it's, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. And they make a plot to kill him. And it's only the intervention of the youngest, Benjamin, who says, no, 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 let's not do this. You know, this is terrible. So they say, yeah, let's not kill him. They throw him down a well instead. And then there's some passing traders from Midian, which was a big trading nation, all these traders passing now there on their camels, and they decide, you know what, here's a better thing to do. Why don't we make a bit of money out of this? And they sell their own brother into slavery. So this this is not enemies we're talking about. This is their own brother that they threatened to kill and then decide to sell. Which shows you how much animosity must have built up. This didn't happen overnight. You know, this wasn't, they had a row the day before and they reacted. Clearly, over years, this had been building up. The favouritism of his dad towards them that was as clear as anything through that robe. And and then just the lack of wisdom of Joseph in how he handled his dreams. Mm. I mean, in a sense, his dream was right. Because one day, by the end of the story, these brothers would bow down to him. But you hear people use that phrase, you know, God's gift to such and such. Yeah. You hear that phrase today. Yeah. And in that case, though he had a gift, he kind of misused it. He did. And 
maybe not misused it, miscarried it, mishandled it. Because mm-hmm. there was nothing he did that was wrong. His his words were right. But, you know, we can be really gifted of God, have all sorts of gifts, but it's not just the gift. It's how we handle it. God entrusts gifts to us. We're not robots. And how we communicate what God gives to us, how we communicate a word, how we exercise our leadership, how we exercise our serving is as important as the thing itself. And that would be one of the lessons that Joseph would have to learn over the coming years. And it was his younger brother, you say, so that would be his mum's second son. Yes, Benjamin. That kind of saved his life. It was. Interesting, isn't it? There was obviously some affinity there between these two blood brothers. He must have had a sense of of the importance of looking after his older brother because of the... uh, uh, the, the gifting that was on him, perhaps. Yes, and maybe as well it was simply the fact they were both from the same mum. Maybe they both got the same love and care and attention that, that some of the others. Because the others would have been stepbrothers, really. Yes, absolutely. In our language, stepbrothers, mm. yeah. So, yes, it's him who intervenes and spares his life, but things don't look good, does he? Because where we've left the story, you know, is him on the back of a camel or probably more likely hands tied being dragged behind a camel and having to run to keep up with them. Yes with these slave traders who are heading southwest to Egypt. And quite happy to sell him as a slave to whoever. Very happy. And then the sad thing they do is they say, what we're going to say to Dad, we'll have to say a wild animal got him. They take his robe, his precious robe, kill an animal, smear it with blood and go home and say, Dad, look what happened. We've just found your your son's robe. And, of course, Dad is mortified. And while we now go on with the rest of the Joseph story, never forget that his poor old dad thinks his son is dead, mauled by a lion, eaten up, bones somewhere there in the desert. He's been deceived by his own sons, having been a deceiver himself. It's interesting, isn't it? What we were seeing in a previous episode, you know, what you sow, you reap. And if you reap that sort of lifestyle, God has a way of making sure it bounces back on us. So while Jacob is very, very sad, obviously, and assumes his son is dead, where is Joseph at this point, geographically? Well, Joseph is now taken down that major highway that used to run along the coastline through Israel and down to Egypt, and he's taken to a place the Bible calls On, O-N, which later would be known as Heliopolis. So it's just down the River Nile uh, where after the the delta part starts breaking out. Completely different culture. Completely different culture. This must have been incredible because Egypt at this time was a pretty powerful nation, very different from the sort of nomadic life that he had lived with before. Um, And he ends up being sold in the slave market. Now, again, you know, probably all of us have seen movies where we've seen terrible examples in movies of slaves being sold in in the Western history. Some of the things they went through, imagine that sort of scenario. It would not have been pleasant. And I'm sure Joseph must have been thinking, God, what is going on here? What is happening? This is not how I thought things were going to work out at all. So, so down he, there in Egypt, mm-hmm. he's sold as a slave in the and slave he, market. He'd been his dad's favourite and now he's a slave Uh, And who knows what the future holds for him. Absolutely. I mean, it must have seemed, humanly speaking, like the end. 
you know, slaves didn't always last very long. They could be looked after very well, but they could be beaten or killed at a whim. So he ends up being sold in the slave market to a guy called Potiphar. Uh, we meet him in Genesis chapter 39, and he's described as an Egyptian officer, a captain of the guard. So he's he's a, some sort of military official in our terms of Pharaoh, and he's taken into his household. Now, here's the interesting thing. As we read this story, it starts by saying the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. In other words, God has not abandoned him. God is still with him and the favor of God is on him. And so now, not in any big spiritual way, just in the ordinary things of life. That is so encouraging for me, for ordinary Christians today. God is with you as you go out to your workplace or in your home or your family, your street. It's there. God wants you to make a difference. And that's what happens with Joseph. He starts to make a difference. And Potiphar notices this. You know, he's had dozens of slaves, no doubt. He's looking and saying, my goodness, there's something about this slave. And everything he seems to do seems to be successful. So before long, Potiphar's actually put Joseph, he's, he's made him his personal attendant and made him his sort of chief steward of the whole household. So suddenly, Joseph's been up at the top as favourite son, down at the bottom. Now, he seems to be coming right up to the top again. And all Potiphar can see is the household is just getting blessed and blessed and he trusts the administration to him and things are going swimmingly until a lady comes by. <laughs> a lady who happens to be Potiphar's wife. Now, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. You know, he clearly went down the gym in the morning, looked after himself, <laughs> was pretty good looking. And it's not long at all before Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him and is saying, why don't you come to bed with me? And Joseph, being the godly man he is, says, no, God forbid, I can never do something like that. And she keeps putting pressure on him day after day. She keeps sidling up. Now, anybody who's ever had man or woman pressure in the workplace from someone who's trying to make approaches to you will know, frankly, it can be really tough to resist those sort of things. And this constant pressure is there until one day when she's with him. She grabs him and says, come to bed with me now, wants to drag him off into a bed chamber. He puts up a fight, good for him, flees, but he flees leaving his robe behind. He just had to get away at any price and any cost. Any guys or women out there listening, listen, if temptation comes your way like this, flee at any cost. Doesn't matter what it could, get out, get out quick. And that's what he did. But she's got this garment and she goes running to hubby and saying, hubby, look at just what's happened to me. That slave, that servant of yours who you've raised up and made the master of your household, he's just attempted to rape me. She, she plays the innocent party. She plays the innocent party and she's guilty through and through. And so, of course, when Potiphar hears this, he's absolutely furious. He could have had the right to kill Joseph there and then on the spot. But what he does is he throws him into prison where all the king's prisoners are kept and there he remains 
So here's this guy down again. He's been up with his father, down sold into slavery, up in Potiphar's house, now down in the prison. This is a real story. Roller coaster Uh, ride, to say the least. Absolutely roller coaster ride. And I was just thinking back actually to when Joseph ended up as a slave to Potiphar, he could have gone one of two ways, couldn't he? In terms of his attitude, his, his approach to his situation. He'd been rejected by his brothers. He, he could have given in. Yes, absolutely. He could, have, he could have just said, blow that lot. And some people do say that in life, don't they? Blow that in lot. I've got a good lot here. I will just settle in. Blow the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There are plenty of gods here in Egypt. God's let me down. Yeah, I wonder how many listeners might have said that at time. God's let me down and quickly in reaction have done something. He didn't do any of those. And while it's not stated all the time, the overall flow of the story is clear that this guy kept his heart soft towards God. God's got to beat some stuff out of him. Yes. But he chose the right way, not the wrong way. And he made a success, as you say, in Potiphar's household until this incident, shall we say, ended up in prison. Then what happened? In prison, he meets some other people who've fallen foul of uh, the officials, particularly of Pharaoh. He meets Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker. And uh, Genesis chapter 40 tells us that they'd ended up in jail because Pharaoh became angry with them. Now, why, we don't know. Maybe the cupbearer spilled the wine or it served a Chateauneuf du Pape, you know, 2014 instead of 2016, and maybe the chief baker had, you know, overbaked the bread. And but, but these are senior people in Pharaoh's household. Trusted people. Yeah. The cupbearer, very, very trusted person. Biggest way of getting rid of a ruler in those days was by poisoning. So they literally tested the wine for the they king. They tested the wine, so a very trustworthy position. But for some reason, he'd fallen foul of Pharaoh, so had the baker. They'd both ended up in the same jail, in the same cell as Joseph. And he sees them looking pretty down. And bless him, even though he could be down himself, he says, you know, why are you looking so sad today? Well, you know, we both had dreams last night. There's that dreams thing again, so important in the ancient world. And we don't know what it means. And last time he interpreted dreams for his brothers, (laughs) it didn't go very well. It didn't, did it? So he had to be a bit more careful this time. Yeah, and you know what? Even as you asked, I wonder what we might have done. Might we have said, you know what? I'll just keep my mouth zipped. Because the last time I interpreted dreams, look what happened. And yet when there's a gift of God in you, it's like you can't shut it up. And I think this guy couldn't. So rather than do what might have seemed natural, he interprets their dreams. One has a good outcome. One doesn't have a good outcome. And it happens exactly as he'd said. One of them is restored to their position and one is executed. The cupbearer, the one who's really trusted over the years is restored. The baker is executed. And Joseph had said to them, listen, I'll I'll interpret your dreams, but please, you know, when it turns out good for you, will you please remember me? And of course, they'd said what everybody says in those. Yeah, sure, we'll remember you. We promise you. But Genesis 40 ends by saying this Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot about Joseph, never giving him 
another thought. And the first verse of chapter 41 starts with these words, two full years later. Two years. Mm. Two years more in jail. These guys promised mm. they would help you, and he hasn't. He's completely forgotten. I think they forgot because God caused them to forget the cupbearer to forget. I think he'd not yet learnt his lesson. There was still more to go. So there was a lot of patience required on, on Joseph's part, to, to say the least. Absolutely. But he got out of prison? He did, because eventually Pharaoh has a dream, a really significant dream. And in those days, the pharaohs had literally dream interpreters. Some of their so-called magicians and people like this were dream interpreters. They had professional dream interpreters. That's how important a dream was. And the more important a person you were, the more significant the dream. So Pharaoh, to have a dream, means, wow, this is like, you know, Premier League dream stuff. Is there not a danger if you're employing somebody to interpret your dreams, to keep your job, you might say things that weren't necessarily the case. And indeed, we'll find examples of that happening in the Bible. But what's interesting here is none of them can interpret it. And suddenly, the chief cupbearer, I always imagine him slapping his forehead with his hand, saying, blow me, your majesty, or whatever the Hebrew equivalent of, or the Egyptian equivalent of that was in those days, blow me, your majesty. I forgot. You remember when you were angry with me and you put me in jail? And there was this, this Hebrew slave who was there who interpreted the dream for me, and it happened exactly as he told me. And I think if you get him, he could probably interpret it for you. So, of course, Pharaoh straight away is saying, go and get him, and they can't bring him straight out of the jail because he'd be stinking and filthy. So, you know, he goes through all the washings and ablutions and haircuts and, 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 and dressing up, and he's eventually brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream, these dreams of seven fat cows followed by seven lean cows coming out of the Nile, eating up the fat cows, and Joseph's got it from God. Seven fat cows coming out of the Nile. The Nile, remember, was the source of fertility mm. for Egypt. Seven fat cows, seven good years of harvest. Seven lean cows eating them, followed by seven years of famine. If I were you, your majesty, you need to look for someone really wise who can plan now, start saving up through these seven bounteous years so that we're ready to go through those seven lean years. And Pharaoh turns around and says, find a wise man. I think I've got him in front of me. <laughs> and in a moment, his destiny's turned around. Mm. You know, from prison to the highest officer in the land, Pharaoh makes him his right-hand man, gives him all authority over all his officials to do whatever he needs to provide for Egypt to survive during this famine. He could have not told Pharaoh the whole truth or not given him the full picture, but he gave him everything. He did, didn't he? He gave him the whole thing. He could just have said the seven years and hoped he would have escaped in the meantime with the good years, but he tells him the whole thing. And I think that was God's doing. I think, you know, one of the things that comes out in the Bible is the sovereignty of God, God's overruling of things. And it will overrule here because when those seven years of famine comes, it affects not just Egypt, but of course Canaan. Nearby. And the thing about Canaan, where his family still is, no great river like in Mesopotamia or in Egypt. And so you really were dependent on the rains. And so his old dad back home 
summarizing the story, sends his brothers down to Egypt to get grain. And of course, Joseph recognizes them instantly, but they don't recognize him. Why? Well, a number of reasons. One, they thought he was dead. Two, he's now dressed up as an Egyptian. Three, many years have gone by. And so they just don't recognize him. But he sets a scheme up whereby he ends up sending the brothers back, but keeping the younger Benjamin as a sort of token of good faith. And poor old dad back home gets upset. And long story short, and listeners can read these in the closing chapters of Genesis, the brothers end up coming with father down to Egypt. And there they find protection and provision through those years. And the best bit of all in the story for me is where his brothers end up once Joseph really reveals himself and says, it's me. You can imagine what they're thinking, can't you? Ah! (laughs) They're thinking life's over. And he says, no, 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 don't worry about that. You sent me here for evil, but God sent me here for good. And it's like God has broken something in him. And he promises now to take care of him. So there's no retribution or revenge in Joseph's heart? Not at all. He says to them, and this is in Genesis 50 at the end, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I should punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you. And so the whole family, the whole extended family is now able to come down to Egypt to be spared that famine. So the people of God are once again, they're growing, developing just as God promised. Only thing is they're now in the wrong place. And God will have to get them back where he wants them to be. So in conclusion, what can we learn from Joseph's life? Be careful how you use the gifts that God gives you. It's not just the gift that matters. It's how you use that gift the wisdom with which you use it, the tenderness with which you use it, and that lies in your hands. Second, do you know what? All of us go through ups and downs in life, the roller coaster of life, as you called it earlier. But what the story of Joseph reminds us is that through all these ups and downs, there is a sovereign God, and even when people mean things for evil against us, God can take it and turn it round. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.